Well, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 16. Now, before I read, though, I want to let you know that we are in the midst of a series within a series. We are in a seven-part series in, in, in the midst of our study of the Gospel of Matthew. And this series is entitled, Sent, Being Christ-Centered People in a Hostile World. Now, Matthew chapter 10 is a sermon on mission. It is showing what it means to be sent by God with the gospel to a spiritually starving world. Sent by God to reach others for Christ. Now, we have seen that Christ's compassion is what motivates mission. We need the Lord Jesus, and we need his compassion, and we need to be praying. We saw last week that God's work in and through us is based on his calling in our lives. That we are called to salvation and service, and that what God calls us to do, He equips and enables and empowers us to do by the power of His Holy Spirit as we work together with a unique, diverse community of fellow believers. And today we're going to see that in order to fulfill God's instructions, we must display godly character. Godly character. So let's see what God has for us in His Word today. Please stand with me as we read God's Word. Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Lord God, we thank you that you are in control, that you are the giver of your word. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is perfect. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word does its work in us who believe. We pray, Lord, that as we look at your word today, that it won't just be business as usual. It won't just be, well, I've read this before. This will be, wow, look what God is saying. Wow, look what God did. Wow, look what God can do in us. So, Lord, we pray that you would have your way among us, that you would have your way with us, and that your will would be done and that you would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen character we're talking today about character and 
Sometimes someone will say, well, that person's quite a character. That's not what we're talking about. Some people uh, play a character, let's say, in a movie or a play. That's not what we're talking about. Character is comprised of, it's made up of the moral and ethical qualities that make up a person. Things like honesty and integrity and honor and trustworthiness. It is who we are when everyone is looking and when no one is looking. It is the good stuff that reputations are made of and it is the bad stuff that reputations are made of. Character is revealed in success and victory as well as failure and defeat. All you have to do is play on or coach a, a sports team to learn, find that out. I've played on a lot of sports teams in my life and I've, I've coached a lot of sports teams over the last 13 years with my kids and more than once I have told a losing team during a losing season that we were building character. They didn't like it very much, but it was true. I've also had to calm down winning teams and remind them that they were being too exuberant. I think of the Boston Celtics in 2008, Game 7 of the, of the, uh, of the NBA Finals, when they poured it on our Lakers by like 39 points, and they were a bit too exuberant, and what I considered character was showing through, or lack thereof. I've had to more than once uh, calm down a, a winning team and remind them that, that building character is part of the process and the graciousness which which they handle victory reveals character there's nothing like a good road trip to reveal character flaws in a person people can only fake it for so long uh, reality tv has taught us too well that once the initial front wears off people are more than happy to be their true selves in front of millions and millions of people you find it out within the first hour of a road trip. It's like when you meet someone and, and they act like you're their best friend, and then you say or do something that sets them off and a ninja suit comes out. Road trips are great character revealers. They can be used by God as well to develop character as well. So, with five kids and many road trips under my belt, I have had ample opportunity to display the worst elements of my character. Matthew 10 is what Jesus said to his disciples before he sent them on a road trip. A road trip, a, a, and a pretty crazy one at that. I mean, tell me that wasn't going to be a proving ground of sorts. As, as things played out, that he gave them these instructions, and they're going to be mixed in with a few surprises along the way, that he would use for his glory and their good, it was a pretty wild road trip. He's commissioning his 12 disciples here, his 12 apostles, in Matthew chapter 10. He is training them, he is equipping them, he's preparing them to send them out. His instructions in Matthew 10, verses 5 through 16, show that he expects a certain godly character to be displayed by his apostles... As they carry on his work, he is expecting something to come forth from their lives of substance. And the reason why, what's the reason why he's expecting this? It's because God wants to display his character through his chosen ones in order to make the gospel attractive to those who will believe. The gospel would be, would be drawing those who believe, and he, he, God is pleased to use his chosen ones 
to draw the chosen ones. God uses his people to attract the elect. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 16, what we see here is God's travel instructions for his sent ones. And it's going to test, it's going to prove, and reveal the character of his apostles. Let's start at verses 5 and 6. These 12 Jesus sent out. Talking about the apostles. The word sent forth here, sent out, is from the same root word that we get the word apostles from. It's the same word that's in verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out. He instructed them. He sent them out after instructing them. And the word used for instructed them, the Greek word there is used in four ways. It's a, it's a very complex word. It was a military word. It was a military word used of generals commanding their troops. Jesus was like a general giving orders to his troops before they went out to his battle, went out to battle. This word was also a word of friendship, the idea of, of, um, of instructing them. It was the idea of, of a, a friend calling friends to come alongside and help. Jesus is calling his friends to, to enter into his mission and to put his plan into action. That word instructed is also an educational word. It's used of teachers instructing their students, giving their students lessons. Jesus was teaching his apostles lessons, equipping them with his message. And this word was also a king's word. It was used of a king giving royal commands. Jesus the king was sending his subjects, his ambassadors, into the world to carry out his orders and to speak for him. There's something I want to point out before we go further. It could look on the surface that, that Jesus was simply given orders, that he was simply calling friends to a task, that he was simply teaching them some things and, and giving the kingly command for it to happen. But there is, there is an underlying fundamental assumption that is critical to our understanding of Christ's commission to them and us that's embedded in this idea of him sending them out and instructing them. You see, here's the idea. What he is telling them to do outwardly won't fly unless there is also a corresponding inward reality going on in their lives. Unless there was a, an, an inward reality matching it, an inward change that takes place, it wasn't going to happen. And as we will see today and, and in coming weeks, one of the ways that Jesus would build in them the substance needed to fulfill their calling was through hardship. Romans chapter 5 tells us of the peace that we have through Jesus Christ. We have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans chapter 5 tells us that, that uh, through Him we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and that that therefore we, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's, that's our, our gifting, that's our, our life as believers, that we, we have, we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But it's not all rosy, it, it, that's not the whole picture, because it says this in verse 3, more than that, even so, there's, there's more. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. And character produces hope 
and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God was going to use, Jesus was going to use hardship in the lives of believers to build in them the substance, the character they needed to fulfill his calling, his mission. So first what Jesus does is gives them an itinerary. It's what you do when you go on a road trip. It's what you do when you go on a trip. You, you plan out the trip. You, you, map, you map it all out and, and you have a destination and you've got a, a direction to go. I remember the first road trip we, we took and we went all the way back to Tennessee and this was years and years ago. But I remember I went down to AAA and got all these books and there was like a, a vol, you know, 10 volumes of maps to get me from from. Irvine to, to Knoxville, Tennessee and, and stops along the way and, and all sorts of things. And, and as we went along and the next year we went and the, the year after and the year after, well, I've taken off on road trips to Tennessee where I just get in the car and go because I know I just get on Highway 40 and go east. And I know the towns I'm going to go by and I know the restaurants even in Oklahoma City and in Little Rock that, that we like to go to. And so I already have it in my head, but there's still an itinerary. There's still a direction. There's still a plan. Well, Jesus is giving them an itinerary, and they were to go where Jesus was sending them. Where was he sending them? First, Jesus tells them where where they're not going. He basically says, don't go here. Go here instead. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles. What that literally means is, don't go in the way of the Gentiles. Don't go in the way leading to the Gentiles. It doesn't mean they couldn't talk to a Gentile doesn't mean they couldn't talk to a Samaritan if they, you know, ran into them on the road. What it means is they weren't to go primarily to the Gentiles. The Jews were getting first opportunity here. Now, later, Jesus would tell them to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. You see it in Matthew chapter 28, the, the Great Commission. Well, here Jesus is commissioning them, but they were to work amongst the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Literally the sheep, the lost ones. That's all of them. Jesus, by the way, uses the word lost, not here, not as a put down here, but, but with compassion. Matthew has been preparing the way in his gospel for the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. At, uh, when Jesus was quite young, wise men from the east came and worshipped him. A Roman soldier was commended for his faith. One day disciples will be made of all the nations, uh, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. But here Jesus is reflecting the, the unique purpose of God and the mission of to the world that Israel is the light for all the nations God had not chosen Israel uh, in relation to his purposes only but in relation to his purposes for the world not just for themselves so there was much that needed to be accomplished in and in Israel up to the death and and uh, and and resurrection and ascension of Jesus after Pentecost the Christian mission would would go to Gentiles and Samaritans but for now it was focused on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. These sheep that Jesus had seen that were harassed and helpless, that were distressed and downcast, like sheep without a shepherd. And the good shepherd had come and he was gathering his flock. Now, we know that not all would receive and many would reject the message of the gospel. But here's what he tells them to do. In verses 7 and 8, he says, first of all, proclaim as you go, preach. Preach as you go. He's giving them instructions. He's giving them details. They were to do what God had called them to do. And he says, as you go, preach, proclaim. They were basically itinerant preachers on a preaching tour. Heralds proclaiming good news. 
The message was the same as John the Baptist in chapter 3 and verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the summary message. The kingdom of heaven, it's a common phrase that we see. And it's, it's, it's seen in, in three different segments, if you will. One, the arena of Christ's lordship, where he rules by his will. Everything Jesus taught was in context of, of this sovereign reign. The kingdom of heaven has to do with a person acknowledging the sovereign rule of God by trusting Jesus for salvation, first and foremost. Secondly, it has to do with believers living in obedience to the word of God. And ultimately, it, it has to do with when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. But they were to do in Galilee as Jesus had done, preaching. And the same amazing message is needed today, to preach the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, that people would acknowledge the sovereign rule of God by trusting in Christ, that believers would obey the word of God and his kingdom rule in their lives, and also that they would look forward to when Christ would return and ultimately set up his eternal kingdom. That's the same message we take today. They were to preach. In the New Testament, preaching is publicly proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was an open and public declaration. It was a, it was a proclamation of God's saving activity in and through Jesus Christ. But they were not just to preach, they were to do other things, the same things that Jesus did. They were to heal the sick. They were to raise the dead. They were to cleanse lepers. They were to cast out demons. They were giving supernatural power, supernatural power from God to do the very same things that Jesus was doing. To prove that this was God's work and not theirs. And they were doing things that we could look at today and say, well, ah, we can't do those. We can't, we can't heal the sick and raise the dead and, and, and cleanse lepers and cast out demons. But the idea here is that they were preaching that the kingdom of heaven had come, that God who was sovereign had come upon the scene and was bringing his salvation program into action. And there were these accompanying signs and miracles and wonders that his apostles would do to give credence to the message and as they did that they were not to charge money as some who went from, from place to place some pra traveling teachers would do this at times they, would, they wouldn't go unless they were paid a certain amount but, but here he says give without stipulation it basically tells us that you receive without paying they had received the gospel message for free freely you had received freely give Give the gospel without pay. Verses 9 and 10 that gets into these budgetary considerations, these monetary considerations. He says to them, do not acquire gold, silver, or copper. Three metals representing the coinage of the time in order of worth. Coins were wrapped in folds of a belt that travelers would wear around their waist. And he tells them, don't acquire these things before you go. And don't even take a bag which held food for the journey. I, I don't go on any trip without taking food for the journey. You need snacks every time we go on a road trip. My, my car, my family's car, is, is chock full, stocked full of all the kinds of snacks that my family likes. 
He says, take no bag which held food for the journey. He says, don't even take two coats. Don't take two, clu- two tunics. They would only need two if they were going to stay outdoors. They were going to be staying in homes uh, under the hospitality of others. So they didn't need two of those. He says, don't even take sandals. Every time I picture the Bible times, you know, in the New Testament, I picture people walking around with sandals and dusty feet and muddy feet. But, you know, people were, went barefoot a lot in those days. They would go barefoot in their homes and barefoot even in their towns. They would, um, they would wear, they would go shoeless. When, when they traveled, when, when they worked in the fields, they would put sandals on their feet to, to protect their feet. Before they entered a house of worship, they would take off their their shoes but jesus is telling them don't take any of the things that you would usually take as you went on a journey you know usually i go on a trip and i take way more clothes than i need i come home with clean clothes in the suitcase you wear the same shorts and t-shirt almost every day right and then and then you just go and and come home and put the new the clean clothes back in the drawer but to do what jesus was instructing they would need Substance. They would need character. They, they would need qualities of godliness that, that they couldn't muster up on their own. And they would need, as Hebrews 13.5 says, character free from the love of money. Character free from the love of money. See, God displays his character through his chosen ones. But Satan also displays his character through his captured ones. We already saw in, in verse 4 that Judas's character was revealed as that of a, of a traitor. He, he betrayed Jesus. John chapter 12 tells us a bit more about Judas. In John chapter 12, beginning at verse 4, it's in the context of, of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with very expensive perfume and wiping his, his feet with her hair. And, and in, in the eyes of some, and especially Judas Iscariot, it was a waste. And here's what he said in uh, John chapter 12 and verse 4. He said, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? You know, it was almost a year's wages we could have gotten off of that perfume, why waste it on Jesus? And verse 6 tells us, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He was a traitor who could not be trusted. But God displays his character through his chosen ones while Satan would display his character through his captured ones. But Jesus says, the laborer deserves his food. The laborer is worthy of his wage. The the teaching of 1 Timothy in chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, the worker is worthy of his wages. That God would make provision for them. That's what Jesus was telling them. God would make provision for them through those who would receive their message. God says it is allowable and even recommended for some to be freed up to serve full time rather than to be a tent maker. That's what Jesus did. They went around full time. But he forbids them from charging money. There were many traveling teachers in those days who would would only go if they got a certain amount. 
I remember a couple years ago, a friend of mine, I went, I was in, invited to a Jewish friend of mine's uh, the bat mitzvah for his son. I hope I'm getting this correct. And uh, while there, they had this huge dinner, and, and my friend takes me aside and points over to the rabbi and says, we got the best rabbi in all of L.A. County, and, and uh, it cost us $500 to have him come out and bless us with his presence and do the thing he was going to do at this ceremony. And uh, it, it saddened me. I, I, I thought, wow, you know, that, that's, he, he was hired to, for, a, for a task. God is saying that he's going to make provision for them through those who are blessed to receive that message, and he forbids them to charge money, uh, as some traveling teachers did uh, for their ministry, but he permits them to accept support to meet their needs. See, what Jesus was teaching them is to trust God's provision through the generosity of those to whom they minister. And he was teaching those who received the blessing of their ministry to support the servants. It's what churches do all the time. And it's a good and right thing to do, but it's got to be done with accountability. It's got to be done with, with um, integrity. Verses 11 through 13, we, we see something about their lodging situation where they were going to stay. And that's always a question when you go on a road trip. Well, where, is it, where are we going to stay? What's it like? Are, are the combinations nice or not? And, and they were going to stay some these places, but, but Jesus was going to have them do a bit of research before they got there. Look with me at verse 11. He says, Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it. The idea of worthy is that who's going to be receptive to the message? Who, who has a godly reputation? Who's going to not reject right offhand what they're bringing? It says, find out who's worthy in it and stay there until you depart. They weren't to keep looking around for better accommodations. Oh, that place, they got a bigger house. They got better food. Uh, I think I'm going to switch over there just to, you know, spread the wealth. And so that, you know, I'm not just in one place the whole time. Jesus says, no, you're not here on a vacation. You're here on a mission and just stay there the whole time. He says, at, at verse 12, as you enter the house, greet it. Now, it doesn't mean you're talking to, to, to the house, okay? Like, you know, talking to the door, talking to the wall. You're talking to the household, the people in the house. So it means someone's home when you get there. They're showing hospitality to you. They, they answer the door, and, and you greet the house with peace. And it says that if the house is worthy, if they're receptive of the message, they were preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they're preaching Jesus. They would have had a lot to say about the king who was in their midst. It says, if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. They would receive the gospel of peace and, and be blessed. But it says, if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. See, so they were to appreciate hospitality when it was given. Worthy refer, refers to the spiritual and moral character of the host. Now, those who accept the message... Uh, those receptive to the gospel, they were to give peace. The, that, that Hebrew word is shalom. It's a, it's a rich word. It, it's, it's deep with meaning. It means the, the deep abiding uh, sense of well-being because God is present and he is sovereign. He is in control. Now, at the second part of verse 13, you, you see here that there will be some that will not receive the message. That there will be some who reject the message. And so, they're to be doing something. There's there's activity that Jesus is wanting them to engage in 
that, that would not be well-received or easy to do. They were to engage in peace-retrieving and dust-shaking. Peace-retrieving and dust-shaking. It's the idea of uh, giving or taking back a peace. Uh, the, the messengers took something real with them and they would be taking something back if it wasn't received. It was a gift communicating by the word of God that would be accepted or rejected. Now, I can't think of this idea of peace retrieving without thinking of the once every five years that I golf. Um, I know some of you think that pastors golf, you know, golf every, every day of the week you know, and then come here on Sunday. But literally, I haven't golfed in like four years. But when I golf, uh, what I like to do is, is take my golf ball retriever which is about a you know, 12 foot telescoping pole where you, you're able to, to, to retrieve balls that, that, you, that you shoot you know, into the water. And by the way, since I golf about once every four or five years, I shoot a lot of them into the water and, and into people's backyards and all, all sorts of places. And, um, but the thing is, is that uh, one of my favorite things to do is, is, is to, to collect balls that I haven't lost but other people have lost so i my goal is always come back with more golf balls than i started with okay that's not the kind of retrieving we're talking about here it's not retrieving something you've lost this idea is retrieving something that wasn't accepted now you could use that in the golfing sense the the hole didn't accept the ball that i shot towards it the wind blew it way far away you could say that but the idea here is that here's what they would be saying to the people who who they would be taking back the peace. They would say, since you don't want to hear the gospel, God's peace will not be with you. Why would God's peace not be with them? Because, because they didn't receive the gospel, and the gospel is the gospel of peace. And the gospel tells how you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And the thing is, this isn't done with, with judgment and with, with anger. This is done with, with, with genuine regret and, and true sorrow. This is done with compassion. Because you grieve over someone who rejects the gospel. Jesus said that this would happen. Jesus said that people would reject the gospel message. And when someone rejects the gospel that you bring, they are not rejecting you, they are rejecting Jesus. And Jesus said this would happen. And then there's the dust shaking. Literally, shake out the dust. It's a a very dramatic, some of us are... Some, some are very dramatic. Uh, this is very dramatic action. This is, a, this is a gesture of disfavor that is very demonstrative. Um, the Jews hated even the smallest particles of Gentile dust. They, they hated it not because they thought it carried disease, but because it was a symbol of death to them. And, and if the apostles were mistreated by a host, they were to treat them like Gentiles. What Jews would do is they would literally shake off the dust of their feet and shake out their garments when they left a Gentile and especially a Samaritan town. It was a demonstrative, shocking display of judgment. That God would, that, you know, in the, in the Jewish context, they were judging them because they thought they were unclean. In this case, though, it, they're basically saying God's judgment's going to be upon you. God's judgment's going to be upon you. They had to basically tell the truth about their state. They didn't put them in heaven if they weren't going to heaven. And we've all been in situations where maybe it's a funeral, maybe it's a, we're just talking, and, and, and somebody puts somebody in heaven that they don't have any idea whether they, they're, they're going there or not. And only God knows those who are saved. 
The Lord knows those who are safe, 2 Timothy tells us, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. But we don't know who's saved. But they're, what they're supposed to do is if they are rejecting the gospel, you do know if someone rejects the gospel. And if someone rejects the gospel, let them be to you as a Gentile. Just let it go. Let, believe them in God's hands. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah is, is listed here in verse 13. Excuse me, 15. It says here, the, the, word, the, the word truly means amen. Jesus starts the sentence with, this is the way it's going to be. Truly, I say to you, amen, I say to you, it is going to be more bearable than Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for the town that rejects the gospel. Why is that? Because the worst of pagan sin pales in comparison to the sin of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the unpardonable sin. That's the sin that will send you to hell. Rejecting Jesus Christ. The worst sin ever committed was murdering Jesus at the cross. And we know that God made sin serve his purposes at the cross. But the worst sin that can be committed today is rejecting Jesus. It's, it's the unpardonable sin if you, if you do it and then die without receiving Christ, without believing. Verse 16 is really uh, an amazing verse, and it can go just as well with our passage today as it can with the one uh, we're going to look at next week. But verse 16 has that huge word that we see in the Gospel of Matthew, the word behold. If you've been with us in this study, you know that behold is huge. It's a marker point. It says, look, listen, something big is about to be said. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I am sending you out. Now remember, he's sending them. He's, they're, they're his chosen ones. He's, they are his sent ones. And he says, I'm sending you out as sheep in a pack of wolves, basically. Boy, he's really selling it, isn't he? You know, hey, follow me. I'm gonna, I'll get you killed, you know? I mean, hey, you know, they'll tear you to pieces. There is a uh, sign on the, at every life-saving station on the coast of Maine, and it says this, you have to go out. You don't have to come back. You have to go out. You don't have to come back. Jesus is saying, here's the truth of the matter. I'm sending you out, and you got my joy and my peace and my love and my goodness and my grace and my mercy, but you're going out as sheep in a pack of wolves. Be aware. Be aware. The overall character of a Christ-centered follower is, is seen right here in verse 16. It's basically the animal motto of following Jesus. It, you know, you go to In-N-Out Burger and get an animal-style hamburger. This is the animal motto of following Jesus. These are real animals here. Uh, Jesus uses four critters to make his point, And you could almost look at it as a sort of coat of arms for believers. with Four quadrants. Right? You got the sheep, you got the wolf, you got the snake, you got the dove. What a combo. Sheep, wolves, snakes, doves. Sheep. Not tigers or lions? Not a big bear, you know, not something bold and courageous. Jesus put a sheep on our flag. You know, what country has that? You know, you you, you pick something strong you know not something dumb sheep dumb liable to stray liable to be led astray the people were like shepherdless sheep but here jesus is calling the people a 
pack of wolves and his apostles' sheep. And sheep in the midst of wolves, the presence of wolves all around was a fact then and it is now. Some of those sheep would turn out to be wolves and call for Christ's death soon afterwards. Then you've got the serpent. The serpent was, we we can't think of serpent without thinking of Satan, but here, in a general sense, the serpent was a symbol of wisdom, a a symbol of mental sharpness in Genesis 3 and in Psalm 58, 5. The dove, on the other hand, was a symbol of simplicity and purity and, and hope. But either without the other, in this context, was bad. If you're too much like a serpent, you will be deceiving people with your cunning trickery if you're too much like a sheep you'll be easily deceived so jesus is calling for a combination of wariness and innocence that is necessary for the protection of the sheep and to keep the wolves at bay they are to be wise they're to be shrewd not like satan but like god they're to be they're to be innocent they're to be harmless and guileless and and literally it means to be unmixed unadulterated unalloyed They're to be alert, knowing that people are sinful, that Jesus in the Gospels knew what was in man, and he did not entrust himself to man because of it. They were to be innocent, unmixed, pure, like a dove, but but not so much that they were easily taken advantage of. They were to be wise, they were to be wary, and and be trusting, be engaged, but not led astray. And, And what we see here is that Jesus is laying down two seemingly contradictory expectations. But he's showing a balance. He's showing really what you would call a creative tension that needs to to be acknowledged. What he's saying is, be wary because people are evil. Be be wary, but not so much that you disengage from those you're called to serve. And he's saying, don't take caution to the extreme of isolation. And, And be accepting, but not so much that you are more influenced than influencing. And don't take kindness to the extreme of full immersion and just becoming indistinguishable from the masses. It's the idea of being in the world but but not of it. But the big question for us today then is, then how can we be like this? How can we be Christ-centered people in a hostile world? The answer is simple. It's by trusting God to display His character in and through us. By trusting God to quite simply display his character in and through us. When you decide that that your allegiance to Jesus supersedes all other allegiances, when you get to the point where you're truly willing to, to serve Jesus over all others, then the primary activity of your life would be to do the will of God, to do what he wants. And as Jesus displays his character through you, you're gonna be able to do things you never dreamt possible. I want to, I'm going to show you what those things are that ties into our passage for today, and I'll just highlight five. And the first is this. The, as Jesus displays his character in you, what you're going to be able to do is, number one, go where God leads you. Just as the 12 were being sent and they went, you're going to be able to go where God leads. God is ascending God. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us from the curse of the law. Galatians 4.4. 4. You need to respond like, like the majority of the, uh, of the apostles did in, in simple obedience. Just go. Just go where God's sending you without running from him or it. Simple obedience leads to, to abundant blessing. Displaying godly character is a matter of, of integrity. It's, it's the idea of following instructions. It's the idea of being under the word of God and not 
putting yourself over it. Go where God sends you. The second thing is, do what God calls you to do. As, as the twelve did, do what God calls you to do. Surrender your will, surrender your ambitions, surrender your hopes and your plans to God. See, only in Christ are you free. How often are we like Jonah or Moses and we want to run from our calling? We want to run from God's calling. We, we long for this other assignment, like, no, Lord, I don't want that. Give me another assignment that's more, more interesting to me or more exciting to me or something that, that feels better. We long for another assignment when the one that he wants us to focus on is right in front of our eyes. So let me ask you, where has God placed you? Where has God placed you in life? Preach Christ there. The place he has you now is where you can make the most impact for the kingdom of God right now. Don't miss the amazing opportunities that God has put right in front of you because you're daydreaming about what might be next. Preach Christ everywhere. You are surrounded every day by people who need Jesus, that are they're lost and they're going to hell. People who do not know him. I wonder, what if Jesus kind of transported himself visibly into the room right now and just stood right in front of us and, and said to us, follow me. I can imagine that almost all of us would fall down on our faces to the ground and worship. And then he would tell us to get up and he would, uh, he would say, come on, let's go. And we'd go out the door, go on down the road, and we'd be like, I can't wait to see what Jesus is going to have us do. This is awesome. This is amazing. I can't wait. And I think we'd be a bit surprised that what I think would happen is that he would, he would take us down the road and then drop each one of us off on our front porch, in our neighborhood, and to our dorm room, and to the soccer field, and to our office, and to our neighborhood. And we'd say, hey, well, you want me to get a couple supplies before, before you take me to where you're really taking me? And he would leave us there. Because that's where God has called us right now. Third thing. When you, when you decide that this is, um, there's, no, there's no other allegiances higher than Jesus, you're going to be enabled to do as Jesus instructed his apostles to do in, in, in verses 9 and 10 of our passage here, you're going to be able to trust God to provide what you need. There will be no worries about funds. There will be no worries about needed supplies. You will say God is sovereign and he gives what is good. That you will cling to Philippians 4.19 that says, My God shall supply all your, all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I think about over the past 25 years in ministry, I've never lacked what I needed. There were times that early on, especially, what we did not know where the next meal was going to be coming from. But more often than not, we had plenty to share with others in need. God takes care of us. We don't, we don't get everything we want in life, do we? But we get what we need. And you say, well, wait a minute. I am, I am um, lacking right now. I don't have enough. What are you talking about? And all I can say is, in, some, in, in, in a way that only God knows... What you don't have right now, you don't need. It's the idea of contentment. It's the idea of thankfulness. It's the idea of, of resting under the unexplained. It's the idea that God takes care of us, and sometimes we're, we're to the nubs, and we're like, wait, this is beyond 
beyond what anyone could bear. And all I can say with as much compassion as I can say is, no, it's not. No, it's not. You can trust God to provide what you need. That you have, can, can, you, can you believe this, that, that everything you have right now is everything you need to do everything God calls you to do right now. The fourth thing is, as Jesus said in, in verses 11 through 13, you're going to be able to appreciate hospitality when you experience it. There will be integrity and thankfulness, and you'll say God is kind, and any true kindness that I receive from others is from Him. And I just want to say a word to anyone working in full-time ministry of any sort. Anyone working in full-time ministry must live with gratitude to God for the privilege of being freed up to serve and not squander that freedom on frivolous pursuits. Every full-time pastor or missionary must say, I am not a hireling. I am a servant of the living God who has most graciously provided salvation for me and will provide all I need through the generosity of those I am privileged to serve. And I will, by God's grace, serve well. And I will not squander the opportunity nor dwell on money so that I may glorify God with a clear conscience. That should be our mindset. That must be our mindset. The last thing, number five, as, as the 12 were called to respond appropriately when the gospel was rejected, we are going to be able, when we settle the allegiance thing, we're going to be able, because of God's character working in and through us, to, to live and speak the truth of the gospel. We're going to be able to freely live and speak the truth of the gospel in ways that we never imagined. Displaying godly character is a matter of humility, responding appropriately, and you're going to find that you can supernaturally respond appropriately when the message is rejected. You're going to be able to say God is the God of truth. All his ways are truth and justice. And Jesus is the means by which God's glory is displayed. And the cross is the main storyline of the universe. And that Jesus is the righteous one who pays for sin. And it far eclipses the wrath against that sin. And the world needs to see Jesus. And here's the thing. In, in John uh, chapter 12, there were some Greeks who want to see Jesus. And they said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. There are people asking that every day. I want to see Jesus. The world needs to see Jesus. The world, the world, your world that God has sent you to wants Jesus to be, to be manifested among them. And all I can say is, and this is according to, to verse 16 where Jesus said, be, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Deal with that tension. That the gospel is attractive when the one who carries it lives it. And it is unattractive when the one who carries it is not because we obscure the message. The gospel is attractive when the one who carries it actually lives it out. It is compelling. It is winsome. It is attracting others to Jesus, not to us, but to him, that they would see and savor the Lord Jesus Christ. God uses the chosen to attract the chosen to himself. We who are in Christ have been brought from death to life. The curse no longer has control over us. The curse will never again threaten us. And so we take the great commission and we go 
and we make disciples and we baptize and we teach and we remember that Jesus is with us always. We preach Jesus and the gospel is like a magnet when believers live it. The gospel is like a magnet when believers live it. Let's pray. Lord God, in whatever time we have left here on earth, may, may we take the gospel because many need to hear the gospel. Lord, live the gospel through us that they who are held captive by Satan to do his will would see the beauty of our feet, that how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, that they would hear the glory of Christ and him crucified for sin, that they would desire the truth and that the truth incarnate, Jesus, would set them free, that they would believe and proclaim our God rules. Lord, we know it's time for a road trip and, and character will be revealed and the question is whose? We know the need is great. We know the task is daunting and we know the enemy wants to distract us because he knows how important our calling from you is. But we thank you, Lord, that you are wanting to display your character, that godly character is something you produce in the lives of those who cooperate with your purposes, whose allegiance to you supersedes all others. We thank you, Lord, that you are building a gospel-centered community of those you've chosen and called that proclaims and displays the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.